Today's episode is sponsored by Soulker Games. They do graphic design, videos, and photography for games. And this is a company I have worked with in the past, and I highly, highly recommend them. They did an amazing job on how to play video for my 4X space game, The Final Flick Tier, which is on Kickstarter a while back. It was super high quality, super well done. The sound was great. The game just looked wonderful in the whole video. I really think it was one of the main reasons that my, my game actually funded when I relaunched it the second time. The first time, I did not have this wonderful, beautiful how-to-play video, and I actually used it as the, the main video for the page. And I really and truly believe that having this super high quality, really well done video that just made the game pop, it just kind of popped off the table. It looked super good. The color just was amazing. I really think it played a huge role in why my game did pretty well the second time around. So if you're looking for a company to help you with some videos, I, again, I really recommend these guys. Javier, the guy that runs it, super professional, did a wonderful job, you know, going back and forth, just kind of working through all the details. Price is very reasonable. Again, highly recommend Sulker Games. That's S-U-L-K-E-R. You can find them on Facebook. Just search Sulker Board Games and you'll find their page. Send them a message or you can send it to SulkerGames at gmail.com. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about small games. We're talking about small games that pack a big punch. We're talking to Jason Tagmeyer, like the king of small games that pack a big punch over from over at Buttonshy Games. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Yeah, man. Glad that you're here. Uh, really excited to talk to you. You've been making small games for like a while now, like years, and it's kind of the, the thing you've built your entire company, your entire brand around. And so I'm really excited to get your thoughts, your ideas, your wisdom, your insight on how to you know make these games, how to publish these games. But before we even get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? How'd you get into publishing? All that good stuff. So I'm uh, Jason Tagmeyer. I'm from New Jersey. I've grown up. I've lived here all my life. Uh, I've bounced around a bunch of creative arts kind of before settling on board game design. All of it was was sort of like product driven. Uh, you know, I, I played in bands, but the the thing that I was most focused on was was releasing, releasing records, releasing albums, stuff like that. I've run little, you know, art houses and venues and art shows and all kinds of stuff around here. But all of it came down to this product development passion that I had. So at one point I found out there was a company that was doing like print on demand board games back in like 2008 before the game crafter, before any of that kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is cool. I love to play board games. Uh, and, and especially back then, like magic and, and all kinds of like card games and stuff. So I was like, I could, I could make some, some games and fill, fit this product mold. It wasn't even about design at that point. It was just about, I know what the product mold needs to be and I can, I can fit this. So that led to kind of dabbling in design uh, and releasing my first couple games that weren't button shy. It was all pre button shy, but they were all um, 54 card decks because this company guild of blades back in 2008 or so made just custom decks and you can make a single deck. You can make a whole bunch of them. Uh, and I, I started dabbling with design. I, I made my first pixel Lincoln game, which was before we eventually made like a deck build a ver building version years later. 
I made this game called Maze Game where you just move a coin through a maze. It was completely pointless, no choices. Uh, made a word game, and eventually it just started, you know, becoming something. It wasn't necessarily becoming good games, but it was becoming a product mold, which which I loved and and worked with that until I kind of started to understand design. So I went from there and uh, eventually became button shy. That was that was kind of the the years of 2008 to 2012, 2013, something like that. Yeah, gotcha. And so when you started button shy, did you like right off the bat think, okay, I'm going to make 18 card games, or like what was the n- initial idea? The the first things from button shy were uh, I did two decks of what I called storyteller cards, which was just playing cards to inspire creativity. It was. Essentially, if you took story cubes and made them into a, a deck of cards. But what that started with making small games was I worked with all these different designers to make uh, single page, you know, one, two, three page games that fit into a booklet that you could use the deck of cards. So it was my first experience working, you know, trying to corral a whole bunch of designers, um, getting small, tiny games into this little this little book. We probably fit 15 to 20 games into just a 50 page book. Um, and they were all tiny. They were all just quick and small and it fit that, you know, that fast, uh, that rapid prototyping process that I really like of just, you know, the, you're not going to get stuck in five years of development on something that's three pages long. So it's, (laughs) it's like immediately, uh, satisfying. You can get it down quick. You can be play testing it quick. You can be, you know, have it on the table. And I, I really enjoyed that. So somewhere within that, I started looking at, um, there was a game called Movie Plots and it was by a local designer, Alex Strang. And it was just simply just coming up with a movie over the course of like 12 cards. And he always looked at like, how can we make this big version of it? And I was like, no, no, let's just make a tiny version because that's all it needs to be. So I looked at different packaging options and this was right as like Love Letter hit. So I was just like, my mission was, how else can you package a small game? Um, I went through so many different options. And to me, this was, I was ready to make a product line, not just a game. Like I was just like, we're going to make these small games. And that's how my mind goes. If somebody pitches me a game that's outside of our like 18 card mold, I'm like, well, how can we make a product line out of it? Not just this game. So I looked around at all these options. You could use a bat, like a little sleeved Ziploc. You could use a plastic clamshell container, all these different things. And I finally found these wallets that I I thought were going to be great. And I had to order them to make sure that the cards fit uh, because it's just a standard mold. And they did. So uh, I I said, that's it. We're doing 18 card games from now on. Uh, And and it just, it kind of went from there. The whole idea of the size had nothing to do with anything else. It wasn't, we're going to make all of these games that are for multiple players. We're not going to make all these games that are set in the same theme or anything like that. It was just, here's the size of games that we're going to make at Button Shy. And it wasn't exclusive. It wasn't that we just were going to do that, but it was, this is going to work for us and we're going to do it every month. Yeah. And so you're saying the packaging actually determined how big the games are going to be. So if that packaging had held 24 cards, would you have done 24 <laughs> yeah. card games? Is that how it would have been? It, it just would have, yeah, exactly. And and we kind of, the, the limit is 18. And even that initial movie plots was only 12, but we capped it at 18. We did little expansion cards and tossed them in to hit 18. But that's what we said was just 18 is going to be our number. And the other good thing about 18 is printers usually print in, in combinations of 18. So, right. um, you know, if I order a 54 card 
uh, deck, it's three 18 card games. And it's great because I can order three of our games at one time and get that bulk pricing, you know, as if it was a 54 card game. We just have to split them up here when we get the copies. Yeah, gotcha. So it worked out really well in a lot, in a lot of different angles. Now, how did you determine the name Button Shy? Like, what does that even mean? Oh, it's funny. It's uh, I talked about doing other other projects before before we did this this Button Shy, and it was probably like 15, 16, 17 years ago. I was making buttons for bands, and it's another one of those things where uh, it's just that was the mold. We got a one inch button machine, and we made ba- buttons for bands, all kinds of them. Uh, some elections, some stores would order custom buttons, and that was my job. I did that for five years. And the name of the company was Button Shy, and the the whole reason I I I had this name and we had a sweet logo, which is the same logo we have today. Uh, I stopped doing the buttons when I had kids because I need to get some health insurance and things like that. But I still had everything hosted at ButtonShy.com, so I had ButtonShy.com slash you know whatever my game company name was. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, I was just like, I'm sick of the slash, you know. Let's just go back to Button Shy because the logo is awesome and I have the website. So after 10 years of not doing that, I was like, yeah, we're going to bring Button Shy back as something all new. And it was really just me the whole time. So it's just Button Shy is just what I'm doing. Uh, and, it, and it felt appropriate. Yeah, gotcha. Well, that's that's really interesting. I wonder how many people have like sat down and tried to figure out like what game industry phrase or you know terms or like what words have you put together? No, it was really you, you just had the website URL. You already had the domain names. Like, I will just use this. And there's almost almost nobody is around from the first like very version of Button Shy, except for I went to order a song from uh, a website that's like famous people that do songs for you know for money, and uh, I put in all the information. I said Button Shy Games, and we're making this new game called Circle of Wagons, and I'm looking for this guy to sing it. And the guy wrote back, and he's like, "Hey, it's me from this band. You know, you made our buttons in like year 2000." And wow. he ran that website. And I was just like, wow, you're the only person that knows what Button Shy used to be. <laughs> that was really cool. All right, so let's talk about the games that you've been making. Now, most people would say an 18-card game is a micro game, right? This is kind of the, the genre, the category that those types of games get put into. But you don't see it that way. You don't call these micro games. You, you call them just small games. So tell me the difference, kind of your mentality, in the difference between a micro game and what you're doing at Button Shy. Yeah, so I try to never use the term micro game unless it's just a real strict like marketing point where that's what people know and that's whatever but i just don't use it because to me a micro game is a small game and to me a small game is either the form factor what we do or the gameplay what i think everybody else in the world thinks of micro game so when someone thinks of micro game and they think of a game that you play in five minutes i mean we get pitched so many games that are like you can play this game while standing in line and i say i want to play it the 99.9% of the rest of my life where I'm not standing in line. (laughs) So I just, that's kind of the thing for, but I I also caveat with that is I say, if there's a great game for standing online, we should have it, (laughs) you know, it it should be in our library. But I, yeah, I believe that uh, small doesn't mean small gameplay. Small doesn't mean small experience. So uh, in the games that we, that we release, a lot of times I'm looking at big table presence. It's kind of the opposite of standing in line. I want something that looks great on the table that almost um, 
replaces components with cards. So you can have multiple card types, a lot of stuff going on. It doesn't have to be super complex, although it can be, but just really maximizing the experience out of those 18 cards so that when you're done, you say, you know, that was a great game, not that was a great micro game. Like, I don't want it to be uh, just limited to that. I want it to be able to be a game you can play on a game night or, or with friends or whatever, and not just be determined as filler or or micro or just just less than anything else and sort of in crafting our 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 library since then i've noticed that the lowest player counts do best for this because you know something that's one player that goes in your pocket is wonderful you know wherever you go you can just bust out a game something that's two player that goes in your pocket is great because if you're at dinner with you know your significant other or anything like that it's a great one to have on hand when you have like a three or four player game that's pretty complex and small like that uh it's so easy to get lost in the crowd of larger prettier you know big box games if you have three people over and you're like let's pull out this tiny little game it's a little bit of a stretch so we've kind of shifted our our player count to small uh low player counts or wider play accounts that are that are, are kind of you know more open games like we have a game in Vito Morte, which is just a really simple party game that you actually could play while standing in line, and that fits the line as perfectly as something that is you know solo or two player, things like that. Gotcha. So basically, you're saying take a big concept and just put it in a small package, right? It's not a micro game. It's it's a big game, but it just comes in 18 cards. Is that kind of your mentality? That's exactly it. I. I if if it's just if the gameplay is is you know thirty seconds of rules, I just don't think it's appropriate for for where our line is today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now now why? Like, tell me kind of the why of first of all why you got into this bigger picture more than just like oh I see a, a, an opportunity, but like there's got to be more to it. You've been doing this for a long time. It's hard to just maintain that much fire and that much uh, consistency with something that you're not really passionate about. And so like, why did you get into this style? And like, why do you think so many people have really just been drawn to your style or your company and your style of games? Uh, <laughs> the style for me is, is it's, it's, it comes from a whole bunch of different areas. There's the, there's the, the handmade aspect of it that feels very like do it yourself, very DIY, very like punk rock roots of this little tiny wallet game. It feels like it's, it's breaking every rule of what, should be you know it doesn't even have cover art so like everything that you like about board games is this beautiful cover art these nice big boxes they can sit on your shelf sideways it breaks all of those rules and i love that that's accepted still even in a small capacity like um i I used to worry that like we don't really show a lot of pictures of the wallets on kickstarter and then when people get them i'm like are they going to be disappointed that it's this little tiny like silly thing but it's 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 twisted that around and, and somehow we've we've managed to, to make that work, which is great. But the the appeal to me to the small games is just it's it's a lot of the design challenge. Like and and for me for the product development challenges, what can you do in 18 cards that you know hasn't already been done? We're on our 46th game. It's going to Kickstarter a week from when we're talking. There is very little repetition within those 46 games, and we have the next six to eight. Uh, signed and it's the same thing it's it's all so different so i love being able to say that this isn't just a fad and this isn't just a you know a micro game or whatever that this is just a a size it's just a it's a it's a mold and that anything can fit within it there's so many avenues of gameplay that we haven't even come down to exploring 
and you know we've already released 46 games we have we had a contest last year with 107 entries and just the variety is is amazing that what you can do with 18 cards that we haven't even tapped the surface of it and 50 46 games in i have no like worries that our line is is you know hitting the end yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, 46 games, you've obviously built a crowd, you've built an audience that loves these games, loves this style of game. But why? Why Why do you think so many people are drawn to this this type? I So I don't know. It's 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 hard to tell. And I, I've kind of been seeing it recently. Like we have a we have a pretty, pretty good um, discord channel where a lot of people are chatting on there every day. And I kind of get the insight of the of the consumer. And I think a lot of it is the subscription mentality where it does fit in that mold and they, they kind of know what to expect, especially after releasing so many games, you kind of, you can kind of know, but I do feel like the subscription, uh, there's not a lot of like the, like got to get them all thing where people feel like they need everything in the library. But I think this, a consistent release schedule is, is really good for something small, especially, uh, we haven't missed a beat of this um, you know, this monthly release in the past two years, releasing a new game each month. Uh, some months have been harder than others and later than others, but we've consistently had that. Uh, and I do think that repetition is is what's great for button shy. Now, what's great for small games, I don't know, because there aren't a lot of other ones out there. There's the Tiny Epic line, which is also extremely consistent in the box size, you know, uh, in, in the flavor and the way they do things. So, there's also the uh, pack of games, which is extremely consistent. But other than that, I don't know a lot of people that will release uh, multiple small games and have the same kind of success as somebody who does only small games. Uh, you look at like AEG had their small box line, but they kind of phase that away. You see other companies that do an occasional small box game here and there, but it's really about the game and the gameplay and not about the, the product size at that point. But when you do these lines, I feel like it is about the product size. Yeah, gotcha. And now you run that subscription through Patreon, right? Yeah, we've done Patreon since December of 2016, and we have people that are still on there since then, which is amazing. Yeah, so basically people, they, they give you X number of dollars a month, and then every month they, they have a game, one of these wallet-sized games show up at their door. And I feel like, like you're saying, the consistency of that, it just, one, it builds an audience. That's something, you know, somebody was asking me about podcasting, I guess it was about a year ago, and they said, well, they asked me for my best advice. And I said, consistency. Make sure the people that are listening to your show know that every Tuesday or every Wednesday, whenever you release shows, they can count on that show to be there. And, and you build up an, an audience, you build up a crowd because people learn to trust you. They learn you know, that you're consistent and that you're going to do what you tell them that you're going to do. And so I feel like you doing that with, with these games is just a really cool like other angle to, to look at the gaming industry. And, and I feel like that's a great way to, to build up an audience like, you, like you've done. Yeah, and and you know with podcasting is sometimes it's really difficult to hit that schedule, but that schedule is the most important thing. You know, if you if you if you miss a week, you know, who says they're going to come back the week after when you come back? It's just you you need to hit it and it's hard. Yeah, definitely. My safety blanket is my queue of episodes I've already recorded <laughs> that I just need to edit. And so like when that starts getting like down to one or two and I'm like recording an episode and launching it the next week, like that's stressful, man. And so I love having, you know, seven or eight 15 even uh, episodes in the in the queue line going okay I'm, I'm good like it just makes me feel better i'm sure you're in the same boat as far as the games like how many games do you have in a queue 
we have like the next six games in the queue, but a lot of them are waiting for art and things like that. But what we do have is our safety blanket, which is going back to the contests and looking at the games that we thought did really well, but might not have been a, you know, the top winner. And then, you know, go into them when, when we're in a pinch, because I have a list of, you know, my top 10 from every contest that we haven't signed, but I've been in contact with the designers and said, I do really like this, but you know, it might need some changes here and there. So that's kind of my safety net. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned design challenge uh, challenges just a moment ago. Let's let's talk about that. What are some of the main design challenges for these small games? So the the first thing is cards only, and we've done some contests where we introduce a little bit of bits, and we always say it has to be pocket something you can have on hand, like some pocket change or something like that, just to keep them still able to be considered, you know, a, a portable game. But uh, cards only is a real tough restriction. Um, you know, there's, there's very little tracking. If there's more than two or three players, as soon as everybody gets a card or two in hand, you've got half the deck gone already. So to me, that's, that's a big one. Um, also table presence. That's, you know, uh, it's, I mean, that's a plus, that's not a restriction. Um, but, but trying to make it so, uh, the game looks visually interesting is, 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 is very important in, in these small games. But the other, um, challenges of it uh one is is tracking is always a challenge for any kind of these small games you know keeping score during the game is almost impossible there's just nothing to do it with so a lot of it has just you know you have to bump score to the end you need to eliminate score um cards in hand is almost not possible um, we've had people who tried to do deck building games you know as and and like that's like the the white whale of of 18 cards is how do you make a deck building game? And I'm just like, you don't it's uh, deck building excels in tons of cards, you know, even trying to abstract out your favorite thing about deck building, it's the cards, you know? So it's just like, uh, it's really just kind of fine tuning what you want, what you want to do and definitely abstracting things out. I've taken, I've tried to make like King of Tokyo in 18 cards and then I took it as a challenge to make it in nine and then another challenge to make it in four. And that's to me is just how to really get my design down to small, small, you know, small, small amounts. Uh, another thing that's great for, you know, for these small games and we love it is variability. So like Sprawlopolis and Circle of the Wagons are our top selling games. And all of the both games are exactly the same in that the the 18 card backs are unique scoring conditions. You flip three of them over and you have a combination for, for this game that is different than the next game. Uh, having that variability within a tiny 18 card deck is unbelievable. Um, I have a game called Twin Stars, which me and Mike Mullins made, and it's a solo game that only uses three of the 18 cards. So the three that you use are different every time. And those kind of things are, to me, the most appealing thing in a small design is just this infinite uh, replayability uh, without having to add expansions and stuff like that. You know, it, before adding expansions, I should say. Yeah, I would say the, re- the rest- restriction of those 18 cards is such a good design challenge. One, because it makes you focus, right? You have to take this idea you have for this you know, big concept like we've been talking about, and then can you boil it down to 18? Can you boil it down to nine, which is such a very diff- difficult <laughs> thing, you know? And, and it, But it really causes you as a designer to have to be very, very clever. Like you're saying, using the card backs as also the scoring mechanisms and, you know, using different interesting or, or clever ideas as far as how to track things, how to 
dish out points during the game. Like it, it's a really interesting design challenge. And this is something I've actually recommended to a lot of people as far as like, if you want to be a, become a better designer, then enter that button shy contest, not, not trying to win necessarily, just trying to give yourself an opportunity to grow and learn as a designer, because what you have to do because of these restrictions just forces you to become better at designing. And so I, I'm assuming you've experienced that in your own design life where you've just like had to figure out all these different ways to make things different and make things better because of these restrictions. Am I right? I, I think my favorite, a lot of people say, hey, what do you design first? Theme first or, you know, mechanic first? And mine is product size first. Like, <laughs> I will love to just say, I have this size box, fit what you can in it, start, go. Um, you know, it's it starts with the 18 cards, it's like that, but it, it even gets smaller and then sometimes I do it larger, but I love to work from a product size. If I say, you can have a board, 10 cards and these bits, like that's, the most inspiring thing to me over anything else. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk on the other side of things. You're also a publisher. So walk me through the publishing challenges you've run into. You already mentioned, you know, having to figure out the wallet size and that kind of thing. Well, what other publishing challenges are there? So probably the biggest challenge for us is with our schedule, just keeping up with everything. There's, you know, there's a ton of overlap you know we're testing this game that's six months out we're finalizing this game that's five months out we're doing the art for this one that's four months out you know and and all that overlap is just it's a it's a lot to wrangle but some of the more you know specific challenges that i have um especially with, with the small games uh is trying to kind of weed out the games that are similar there's there's a lot of people that will see something successful and then kind of do the same, but make changes. And I'm trying to keep, you know, like I said, our line very different. So I'm kind of trying to stay away from the trends of, you know, puzzly tile laying games where we get a lot of submissions of the same things. I can't tell you how many submissions we have of a three by three grid as the starting setup. I mean, that's like our, if we get a, you know, we get to the contest and we see another three by three grid, you know, we want to make it like a, a restriction in the next contest. Like you can't make three by three grids, but I just, I just try to avoid getting locked into the same trends. Um, try to look for new ways of, of getting table presence down. I really strongly look at player count to me. That's a, a that's kind of a personal pet peeve, but I want games that are, that excel at a specific player count and don't even bother with any others. So if a game's great at two player, I don't feel the need to squeeze in a solo mode. If it's a, you know, if it's great at one player, we'll leave it at that. If it's if it's great at three players, I don't know if we can even publish it because that's such a hard player count. But I just I look at one player only, two player only, two to four player only and just try to really excel at, at the at the best the player counts can be and with with just 18 cards that's 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 like it's tricky but it's great for the designers to to not have to worry about throwing in this extra thing that's going to make it better with more players or less players or things like that yeah or even worse where you have a designer or a publisher on kind of the back end going you know we probably need to have a solo mode so let's throw something together in the next 20 minutes and we'll just throw <laughs> that in the box and hope for the best so it's like no it's, it's like obviously pasted on obviously not designed to have this many players or this few players. And it's just, it frustrates people because they see on the box, oh, it's this is one to five players. I love solo games. And then they play it and they're like, oh, this is really just the two-player mode where I have to play both sides and this is not actually solo. <laughs> so I feel like a lot more publishers really need to think about it from, from your terms of, no, this game is good from two to four. It's only two to four. We're not going to worry about solo because it doesn't work very well. It's, it's not the like full-on experience. I feel like more publishers should travel down that road. 
with our with our line it's fun because we have a lot of games that share the same uh theme it's called the pocket universe and it's like our sci-fi little universe and we came out with a game called liberation that's a great two-player asymmetrical game that's almost like playing star wars rebellion in 30 minutes and 18 cards like that's the best description of it and i hate that the best description compares it to another game but that is but everybody was just like where's the solo mode and i said play twin stars which is a solo mode a solo game in the same universe but that excels at solo like i don't think i'm really happy to just say here's a better suggestion for a solo game when someone asks for or if they ask for more players here's our here's our, our suggestion for something that 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 plays more yeah, and it's really cool that now you've built up such a line of games that you can say that. You can say, hey, well, well here's the solo <laughs> game that's like an alternative, and that's that's a really cool thing. Now, what have been some of your favorite answers to these design challenges? Like some of the games that you guys, over the last 46, you know, and you got more coming down the road, like what have been some of your favorite answers that either you've come up with as the publisher or developer or the designers have come up with to say, here's the answer to this problem? So um, I've seen some really unique ways to uh, track uh, scoring. And some of it is just, you know, the way cards can overlap each other. Uh, Some of it is like twisting cards. And all of that tracking resources is a absolute problem. And I love to see the different solutions. Um, A lot of times it's, it's definitely fiddly. Like if you're twisting cards around and you bump the table, it's not ideal. But when someone nails it with just the, you know, and, and usually it's art. Like usually it's just the way that two things line up on two cards and then they, they kind of sit next to each other. Um, I love to see that when someone can solve those problems of, of tracking. Um, other than tracking, uh, the one deck building game that we saw that, that did it well uh, Basically, it had a line of cards in the middle, and it was all about twisting cards. And what was facing you was in in your hand. What was facing them was in their hand. And then there were two decks on the side, uh, and I believe there were some cards face up that were shared. So it was it was the sharing of resources, but a feeling of ownership in just the way that the game was designed. And I think that sharing resources and maximizing uh, card layout. Are, are the are kind of the best things you can do. If you have a, a game that uses both sides of the cards, the top and the bottom, and you know, and does that in an elegant way that doesn't feel like a big confusing mess, then you've really gotten the most out of these 18 cards. Yeah, so tell me about the UX design challenges that you've run into. Because I mean, you've got a lot going on on a very small amount of cards, and so you've had to come up with these clever ways to overcome these issues. So tell me about some more of your, your UX answers. So the one that we talk about was we, you know, we'll add a coin here and there and we'll say, just use, you know, everyone should have a couple coins on hand. Uh, and then we'll do like deluxe tokens that are in the theme that are the same size as a coin, but being able to just slide a coin down the side of a card cuts out so much, uh, you know, so much that, you, you know, tracking and everything else. So we've done this on a couple games now where there's just lines that go off the side of the card and you just line your, your you know, your coins up with that. Um, that's one of them, uh, splitting cards in half. We've done quite a bit and trying to pack what you can into, uh, half of a card in a graphic design sense is it's difficult because there's usually a lot of information. Um, we rely on icons when we can, but I don't like when you have icons and then you need to consult the rule book every time to see what those icons mean. So that's, that's kind of a, a, that's been a struggle in just, in just fitting it all in. Um, we have done, 
little rules supplements. We've just started doing like extra uh, little rule books that sort of enhance the gameplay and things like that. But um, yeah, it's just, it's really comes down to like throwing that extra coin on there is going to, is going to cut you out of a lot of, a lot of trouble. And I don't love to do it because I feel like when I give out this game or if we sell it to a store, it's, I don't think it's incomplete, but it's just that you need something else. But our rule is that that something else needs to be something you could have in your pocket. It can't be a, a token that has a specific heads and tails and things like that. It just needs to be just something small that you can just throw on the card. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, let's let's change gears a little bit and talk about playtesting. I feel like playtesting is actually one of the the things that these games have as a as a benefit because it's a little bit easier to get them to the table. They don't take quite as long to play typically. So tell me about your playtesting process and different things you've learned as you've done done this. So we've got a decent network of available playtesters, which we've built through uh, all of our Kickstarters and Patreon and things like that. And as we have games, we'll you know kick them out to those people. Uh, they're two pages essentially to print out so um we'll do like as you know as color free as we can if there's if there's specific colors that are needed for the game we'll keep them on we'll keep the the files nice and 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 low low color so you can print it out uh if it's 18 cards is two pages if the cards have specific backs it's it's you know four pages plus rules so it's real simple for people to get it to the table the thing that i've noticed about playtesting is We've done a good share of solo only games recently, or at least, you know, solo to two players and things like that. Those games get tested like the day we send them out. They don't require, you know, waiting for, you know, a friend to play or anything like that. So those have had the most success in any playtesting. It's just kicking out these solo games or solo a bull games. uh, And people are printing them and playing them right away. So having these real easy files, uh, Discord as a great communication tool you know here's all our files here's all our games here's our feedback form you know have at it that's all been in wonderful for us and then personally i'll you know we're gonna you know get together and take play test some games around here it's like i'll print 15 pages and we've got <laughs> eight games to, you know, to try out of the night and uh it's it's real easy there you know all you're doing is just cutting and sleeving it's like there's there's nothing to it yeah, definitely. Now, what are the things that you're really looking for during those playtests? You've mentioned certain things, you know, table presence and player count, things like that, you know, for the contest and all that. But like when you've already decided, hey, we're going to we're gonna sign this game, we really feel good about it. Then what are you looking for in the playtesting process of trying to make it better? So a lot of it is, you know, um, I guess like we do a lot of stuff with new designers. Like uh, we've signed so many new designers, first games and things like that. So a lot of it's just getting in the repetitions that they may never not have gotten in, but then we'll go into the the you know the high level issues. Um, I'll t- play test a lot with like Mike Mullins, and and he'll just right off the bat just you know see what's going to come down the table and and be a problem down the line. A lot of times we're doing development to come up with you know some expansion material and things like that. So there's design work in that you know in that play testing. But when I look at these games, the thing that I'm looking for the most is is that it's it's replayable. Um, that we're not, and I mean this is before it's signed, probably. But um, that that you know, after playing this three times, you know, there's there's something new in there every time. I do look for both games that are really easy to start and get into, and games that reward players in in um, you know. Uh, higher level, you know, more plays. So a lot of that 
post signing um, development and, and playtesting is trying to figure out how to how to hit both of those worlds and to figure out which one we want to go with. Something like our new game Anthelion is a lot of text on cards. It rewards multiple plays. That first play is going to be um, it, it's it might be make or break for some players, but if it's a make, then you're in for a really good you know experience over the long term. But it was one of those ones where we had to decide, do we want to simplify it and make it really good for that first play, but suffer for the later? Or do we want to go for the later plays? So that's kind of one of my late uh, playtesting, not late, but after signing playtesting goals is to really just figure out who the audience is and and where this game is going to go for the long term and and how we want to approach that. Yeah, gotcha. Now, you mentioned that deck building games don't really work based on this model. Are there any other types of games, types of genre, types of categories that you've seen that just you haven't found a game that's answered the question to make it work yet? I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen more uh, co-op games because it seems perfect for it because it's a sharing of resources. So we've seen very few co-op games over the course of time. Um, and I expect that we should be seeing more, and I think expect that we should have seen more. People try legacy, and it's just you have nothing to work with. It's the same as deck building is. Um, and we have avenues to do things like that. We have our our Patreon with monthly releases, and you know that's great for something legacy, is you can get something new in the mail each month and continue it. But you know <laughs> when people try at just the eighteen cards, it's just so funny. Um, Word games, we've seen stuff like that, and we actually have one coming out, uh, Handsome from TC Petty. It's coming out later this year. We've seen a fair share of word games that just have no meat to them. Um, so that's that's kind of one of those those things as well. But deck building, um, fighting games, a lot of that, uh, and it just they all excel with cards. Yeah, I could see how a escape room game would also be a difficult thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's cool because it would be a cheap like one time. A lot of those are like one time use games. So ours is a great one where it's like, hey, play this and pass it on. It's like in the wallet and you could hand it off. But squeezing enough game into those eighteen cards is hard for something like that. Yeah, it'd almost be like set your set your alarm on your phone for two minutes and you've got two minutes to get out you know you've got 18 cards and you know good luck to you and just see what happens that could be exactly. fun though and hopefully somebody listening to this has an idea and they uh, they send you the game and be like hey here it is and they can just kind of put me in the in the thank you credits for the, uh, for the, for the <laughs> game presents that's right um, well let's keep kind of traveling down this road what are some things you'd like to see in the future now you've got a lot of games coming down the road that you know you haven't even announced yet and so there's already certain things but what are some games that you really would like to see whether it's the next button shot contest or just people submitting you through website or that kind of thing so from a from a theme side we never did anything um fantasy like nothing uh it's it's this void in our line that people have asked for and we started this year in our patreon we have a it's a, a dungeon crawl postcard game that's coming out every month. And the postcard is just a map. And then there's character cards and all this extra supplemental stuff that, that comes with it. But what it's starting to do is build a fantasy universe for us. Because with these small releases and being a small publisher and having very little funds for anything, being able to build this universe allows us to share some art across multiple projects. And it's worked really well for our sci-fi universe. So we started to build this fantasy thing. So as we're buying all these characters and artwork for this little tiny postcard game that makes zero money, 
we're able to use these characters and offer them to designers for new games. So our next contest, uh, which should probably be like June or so, the idea of it is that you're building a game in this fantasy universe. So we're going to provide some character art that you can use to, to build your games. If you want to just kind of, you don't have to use it. You can just use it to make it look cool. Um, but we're going to provide some story, some settings, some background art, and let people kind of pull from there to make games that fit into this universe. And uh, it's going to be limited to single player, two player only, and two to four player. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking for is the games that fit that universe um, and and kind of do the fantasy thing in a way that we ha- we absolutely haven't done any, but in a, in a new way for small games. Yeah, that's really cool. And this is another publishing challenge that you've figured out the answer to of how do you do this for not a lot of money? And it's by reusing assets, by you know using the same artwork, same characters in multiple games, maybe changing different things here and there. So it's not exactly the same, but I feel like that's a really smart way to, uh, to do this and, and to keep it going. But as far as what you're looking for, so I wrote down, all right, you're looking for a fantasy co-op escape room game. And so anybody <laughs> that can put that together... <laughs> <laughs> and or a fantasy deck building legacy game <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to just blow my mind if yeah, you can exactly. pull that one off and that's the goal right you don't want to come in and just do uh, or i don't think you're looking for a, a fantasy three by three grid, grid game and so yeah let's just no. go let's go all out on this so oh so i was gonna say the one thing that we've seen a lot of is we have the circle of the wagons we have the sprawlopolis so they're they're tile laying games and we've essentially like said that those designers uh, Steve Aramini, um, Danny Devine, and Paul Kluka do that really well that we don't want to sign any other ones that if we want one, we're going to go to those guys for the next one. Right. Um, and we do get a lot of a lot of submissions that are like that because that have, you know, the visibility of our line has grown considerably just from those games. Uh, but you mentioned Roland Wright. Um, the having a die on hand sort of breaks my rules of, you know, what you, what you can and, you know, can do with the wallet line except for our game twin stars does use dice so while it breaks the rules we've broken them before so being able to do roll and write in uh, with uh, a wallet game is really interesting the thing that i assume you'll have to do is provide your own paper as well um because can't really fit much in there you know you you might be able to do some lamination uh you know with some cards and things like that so you would you would just need a dry erase marker um it's a great I mean, I've designed Roll and Write games and I've published them through the Spiel Press. So I love Roll and Write. I hadn't considered it until you mentioned it for the wallet line there. Yeah, it could just be really interesting. And I've got a couple ideas and maybe I'll bounce them off of you after the show. But um, it just taking this idea, like you're saying, this product line, right? 18 cards and then, and then going from there. It's such a cool restriction and just saying, okay, well, could we do a game like Star Wars Rebellion, which is this like two and a half hour crazy deep thematic <laughs> experience. Can you do it in 18 cards? And then you had a designer and said, I got an idea and it works out, right? And yeah. so it's really cool to take these like other ideas, other concepts and go, yeah, but can you do it like this? And so I'm, I'm really excited about the, uh, the games you've got coming down the road. Now, one thing we were talking about before the show is how uh, print and play it plays such a role in these things. Tell me about the print and play aspect of, of your company, of these games, and kind of how it all works together. So we, a little bit of our our problem, and other small publishers will have the same problem, is that while these games are tiny, they still cost $13 to ship overseas. Right. So, you know, a game costs 10 on Kickstarter, and our shipping has to be 13 just to get it to somebody in Europe. Because we're not large enough to have a great distribu- distribution network throughout Europe and things like that, 
we struggle. So one of the things we've decided to offer a couple of years ago was print and play. And at the time, there was a little bit of a stigma like, you know, is somebody going to steal your files and then go release the game? And I was just like, you know what? We have to try it. You know, we have to just get past all that. And we're going to start doing print and play versions of the games. We sell them through Kickstarter and they do really well. And a lot of times a backer will say, I can't afford the $13 shipping. And we say, well, here are your options. You know, if you buy a couple games, you know, you can combine shipping. And it's essentially the same price for three games to ship as it is for one. Uh, or you can print it yourself. It's going to be, you know, it's four pages plus rules. Uh, and we'll give you like high quality, full print, you know, full bleed files and things like that. So we embraced that over the past couple of years. And as we started to do some more solo games that took solo and print and play is like the best combination you can find. Um, it just does so well. So we've uh, released games on our site. We released them on Kickstarter. We started another site, uh, print and play arcade that is button shy is a big focus there as well as other companies, but uh, it's, great and i think it's getting bigger and bigger uh, especially in that solo community yeah it's amazing how print and play has created like a subculture in gaming that's just a really cool group of people that they're they're kind of your diyers right they love printing stuff out they love taping it together and creating like it's got this really cool arts and crafts side of it that you know these these folks enjoy and then they're also pretty good at they typically are, are people that are good at playtesting too right and so because they don't mind doing all the extra uh, paste ups and all this kind of stuff and what's interesting my my kickstarter for the final flick tiers wrapping up this week. And I've actually had more people. So I've got three tiers. Basically I've got the print and play, the base game, and then the base game with expansion. I've had more people back at the print and play level by double, I think than the base game. <laughs> right. And so it's just kind of crazy. Like the base game is sitting there and it's, you know, just kind of half of what the print and play crowd has, has shown up to do. And obviously there's a price you know, aspect to it as well, but it's just really interesting how this print and play culture has been created and let's, let's kind of talk about another project you're working on right now is this whole print and play arcade like tell me a little bit more about that and kind of how it all works together with button shy and and wh- you know where you're headed so uh jason greeno is a guy that reached out to me maybe about a year ago and said i love what button shy is doing i'm making a patreon that's very similar to what you're doing it's small games monthly i want to get your blessing i want to check it out and I just wrote back to him. You just ruined my day. <laughs> like it was the, it was the, it was what we were doing, but it looked nice. It looked like all the shortcuts that I take heat to heat did them really well. So I just said, why don't we join forces? Like you could, you know, we have plenty of room here for more, you know, games and fill in a lot of gaps and could use you. So for the past year, he's been working on a lot of button shy stuff in the backside. Uh, we meet up every week. We co-design a bunch of stuff. He's done a lot of graphics, but he was telling me about this, this, kind of this gap in the market that that print and play has like nobody is selling print and play games exclusively you can find some websites will sell them uh some like like drive-through cards will sell them but they also sell a lot of uh physical games so we said there's no like web store for print print and play games only so we decided we were going to start kind of working on it get other publishers on board and and the button shy library is you know, it's 40 some wallet games, but we also have all of our little monthly games and our nine card games. And we've got, a you know, a year's worth of releasing four games, uh, you know, a, a week. So I said, Butch, I can definitely, you know, kind of help kick this off. Uh, since then, we've gotten a lot of publishers on board and publishers of all sizes like we just added all the daily magic valeria games that are like 100 or 200 cards each you know so these are big 
uh, print play games, like uh, the networks uh, by Gil Hova was just added, which is a big game, but there's no digital version of that available, you know, anywhere. There's also the small stuff. And what I think is it excels with is this tiny solo stuff, these little roll and write one page games. We have a uh, Robin Gibson has a, has a line of uh, legend of D six games and paper pinball games that are great sellers on our site. And they're just a single page with some rolls and roll some dice. So the idea is to kind of have everything just be the place to buy print and play games, whether they're, they're large games that, you know, you want for a fraction of the price or you live overseas and they don't offer it. You don't have a game store near you or you just want it today to play today. That's kind of the goal for, for, for it uh, is to be the place for all of that. Yeah, and it's such a cool idea. Uh, and Jason, he's awesome. He, he's a guy I've been working with. I've got I've, I've got a game coming out with you guys sometime in the, the near future, <laughs> and he's been awesome, just helping me develop it and make it the the best it can be. Now, what's the what's the domain? What's the URL for that? Uh, it's pnparcade.com. Awesome. I'm really excited to see where where that goes. And like you said, you've already got this really awesome library built up, and that's that's one thing. If like if I wanted to start this thing up, I don't I don't have anything in the library to to do it. But you had this incredible just backlog of games for people to come in and check out, maybe see for the first time. Maybe the you know with 46 games, it's it's kind of easy for certain games to get lost in the shuffle and, and kind of get uh, left out. And so this is a cool way to maybe give those games new life and other publishers to come in and work as well. And so like. Let's just kind of talk about this just for a few more minutes. Like, what's, what's the process? If like, if I have a PMP, which I do for my for my game, and I wanted to put it up on your site, like, what do I need to do? Do I just go to the site and contact you and say what are the steps, or like, how's it work? Yeah, so it's it's basically all curated content, and that's been kind of the hardest part of it. Is it's very, uh, you know, it's a lot of work on both our our, our sides, in that we are searching out people. Um, a lot of people are coming to us, and we're saying, you know, I think that we have like five internal uh like a checklist of what makes for a great print and play game uh you know and just paraphrasing solo is is one of the things it makes for a great print and play game small makes for it uh high quality art is going to make for one that is going to be attractive to people um good ratings on board game geek and stuff like that a following from that publisher or designer all of those are great things so the, the more of those that we can hit, the better. And some of them, you know, it might just be solo only, but it has no art and, you know, things like that. So then we're like, I don't know if it's great for the site as of right now, but the more of those that we can hit, uh, the better. So anybody can reach out to us at any time. We're, you know, giving a, oh, yes, this is a great fit or, you know, not right now. Um, you know, our we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Our emails are on the on the website. If there's a there's a FAQ page, so anybody can reach out to us anytime with their with their games. And we're you know basically just personally curating all of it. Yeah, and so if I've got a game on there and somebody let's say that somebody buys it for five bucks, do I just then get a percentage and then you get a percentage? Like, is that how it works? Yeah. So the designer gets. We just kind of did the research. The designer gets seventy percent. Um, uh, of the net sale, which is, you know, everything after the PayPal takes all the money. <laughs> um, uh, but it, uh, it's, it, we kind of based it on, on, you know, the app store for Apple products. Uh, we looked at a variety of, you know, just store marketplace, digital store marketplaces and 70% of the sale to the creator uh, seemed like a, a really good uh, mark for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, again, I'm excited to see how the whole thing grows and just continues to to ebb and flow and, and change and become even cooler than it already is. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about: small games that pack a big punch. And so, whether you're doing it on the physical side or on the print and play side, that's that's the the brand, that's the the 
side of the market that you've really found a cool home in. And Jason, man, I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. Do you have any kind of like closing thoughts for, you know, maybe somebody's working on a, an 18 card game or a small game right now and they're trying to figure out how to make it pack a bigger punch, so to speak? Like, what would be your advice to them? So I, I think with anybody designing anything, if you look at our best-selling games, and I think that's a good idea of what works at at our level. If you look at something a little bigger, you know, like a tiny epic level, it's going to be different than our size. If you look at something smaller, like the Paco game, it's going to be a little different. But if you look at our level and look at what's sold the best for us, what's critically done the best for us, it's the games that don't use all the cards, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, it's the games like Sprawlopolis where you flip three of them and that determines how your game is going to play. Um, it's a game like Twin Stars where you only use three of the cards. So, it's, it's making it even smaller to allow tons of replay within that, um, that, that deck of 18 cards. Now, how much that can be done before things start to tread on each other, uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but I, I believe that it, it'll start to, you know, that's one of the areas that'll start to get a little crowded um, as you go. But maximizing um, every card for what you can without, you know, overloading the game with information. Um, all that kind of thing. And I think personally, I think small games are a great thing for the future in that we have how many games come out each year? I said 3,000 today. I don't even know how many it is. I mean, 600 come out at Gen Con. So <laughs> that's over a weekend, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we come up with, you know, 12 on our, on our own. But right. there, I, there's so many games coming out each year that I feel like the long extended development cycles of spending two years playtesting that last 5% of, of the game. I don't feel like it's even possible or smart in today's market because to, to get to these, you know, top, top selling games that people, you know, to be the, you know, whatever the settlers Catan or something that's going to sell forever. That's great. But chances are you're going to be one of the other, 2800 games that come out each year and it's going to sell well you know at best it's going to it's going to sell well so making small games with a smaller development cycle with with less rules that you have to you know just agonize over and and play test for years over i i do think that that's a a smarter way to go about uh you know even publishing but even design for for the future because you, you can spend so much time on a game and the cult of the new is so bad that in 30 days, people are on to the next thing, even less than that. You know, in one week, everybody's on to the next thing. Right. So if you agonize for years, you could have made a whole bunch of small games in that time. Yeah, that's a great point. And another thing for people to realize is you're not only competing with the other 3,000 games that are coming out every year. You're also competing with Netflix and with Hulu and with soccer games. And I mean, with social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, like you're, we are competing with the most things ever in the history of humankind right now. And it's only going to get more distracting. Like it's, it's not like, Oh, this is as high as it's going to get. This is the most distracted we'll ever be. No, it's only going to get worse. And so you make a great point. Like I think as a designer, you have to really determine, do I want to spend three years on a game or could I spend three years making six games that were just smaller and quicker to play and less rules. And, and that kind of thing. I think you really have to determine as a designer, like what are you trying to accomplish? And then, and then know what you're doing going in. Yeah. 
Well, awesome, man. You got a, a game on Kickstarter right now. I'm not sure how to say it. Antenna, antenna me. Antenna me. How do you say this game? And then tell me about it. <laughs> it is Antenna me. Uh, antenna me is designed by John Bellucci, and it was it's his first published design, which is we love doing that. And he uh, submitted to one of our contests and, and wound up winning. And the whole idea of Antenna me is it's a two-player time travel game where cards have um just a couple elements on them it's it's like a numbers on cards game uh they have a number from one to four they have a color of of four different colors and they have an image uh, of four different images and what you're trying to do is kind of get three of the same type together in this line that's between the two players uh before your opponent does it and every time you do that you get a point um the the kind of the wrinkle with it is that whatever uh color was used last in in the combination uh the last used color combination is unable to be used in in uh the next round so you're you're trying to get these uh together with restrictions but there's also uh the way that the numbers go has to be uh you have to move to a lower number um when you when you kind of move your token around to uh to simulate the time travel and things like that so it's a really cool um, like nine card line of cards in between two players where you're sliding your little time traveler along this uh, this this line and, and trying to line up cards. The theme of it is is very like godlike. It's like you're taken above the cards and you're like you have these staffs. It's very like godlike wizards messing with time, trying to cause these paradoxes. You're not trying to stop them. You're trying to cause them. Um, but it's hard for me to explain, but it's a very smart game. I said it's the kind of game you would see in like the Marbles uh, Brain Store. I don't know if you're familiar with that store, but it's just all like like chess variants and and wooden games and like like a lot of like learning games and stuff like that. And it plays a lot like those. It's just very simple, but it's super thinky and and smart. Awesome. Well, I hope it does really well on Kickstarter. Uh, it should be up right now if you're hearing this. Uh, what are what are the dates though? Just in case. Uh, February, February 11th through the 23rd. It's just like, we do these quick campaigns and then forever available on our website. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Jason, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and uh, the contest and everything else you got going on right now. Great. Thank you. This is great. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?